0: pokies harm in Australia is well known uh, but to date just knowing that about $12 billion a year is lost to the pokies and that disadvantaged postcodes are most affected has not been enough to change anything much and in the recent South Australian and Tasmanian elections the hotel lobby flexed its muscles to campaign against even minor proposals for poker machine um, reforms in those states but our inability to contend with this social harm from pokies fascinates New South Wales based journalist Drew Rourke and he spent quite a bit of time pulling together a book on it it's called One Last Spin the Power and Peril of the Pokies is out through Scribe and it's great to have you with us Drew.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: And it's interesting um, I think to hear what drew you to this story of having a look at the social harm from pokies?
1: It was really coming face to face with the social harm of pokies. I uh, spent a day down at the Star Casino in Sydney in May 2015 and there met a uh, gambling addict and it was really um, he and his story, which was the genesis for this book, um, I uh, lost contact with him after that day that we spent there, but he really explained to me for the first time what it's like living with a gambling addiction and that really picked my interest.
2: And you speak to a number of gambling addicts in the course of this book one in particular called Doug who you kind of follow through his story his battle with um, with his addiction to poker machines what's your sense of, of why people like Doug and, and many other people in Australia as well are so attracted to poker machines and, and find it so hard to give them up when it's inflicting so much psychological and, and financial harm on them in the course of that?
1: Uh, it's It's largely um, because of the way poker machines are designed. There, there are um, some factors to consider at the level of the individual, though there are also many, many factors which need to be considered about the machines themselves. They are designed to be as immersive and fast as possible, and there is a growing body of uh, of research which is showing that poker machines have a very, very strong effect on the human reward system. And anything which has a very strong effect on the human reward system is going to generate some level of addiction. And they do, poker machines do that much more than other forms of gambling.
0: And as you say, there is growing um, a, a large actually growing body of research into this area. And we've reported on a lot on this program even. Um, but what did you find in the course of your research that, that you feel hasn't been written yet or hasn't been sort of put out there in the, in the public yet?
1: Um, I think especially listening to gambling addicts themselves and hearing them describe the compulsion to play um, I don't think that had been fully explored um, in detail and the uh, the other point is the um, recent shift uh, in the DSM. Of, of gambling addiction and it was put into um, the substance use disorders for the very first time because of the growing body of research indicating um, the the uh, neuroscientific basis of gambling addiction and that's kind of official acknowledgement that gambling addiction is as serious as any other addiction even though it doesn't require any substance to be drunk, smoked, snorted or shot up
2: we know that the pokies industry and, and lobby doesn't really like the spotlight being put on them. We've seen very strong election campaigns waged by Clubs New South Wales and Clubs Australia in response to, you know, quite modest reformers put forward by governments in the past. What sort of experience did you have in, in writing this book and, and what response did you have from from the lobby? Was there much pushback that, that you received when word got out that you were, you were writing this kind of investigative book on, on this issue?
1: um pushback in the form of them not wanting to speak with me i um in the very early stages of research contacted all of the major manufacturers of poker machines in australia and around the world and all of them denied my requests for an interview and the same occurred with clubs new south wales which is the peak representative body for uh, clubs in australia And I was also denied access to the uh, Poker Machine trade show, which occurs annually in Sydney. Um, Though luckily there are um, several other trade shows around the world with um, less strict entry requirements. And I was able to attend one in Macau where I was able to see what the future of poker machine design holds.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually interested in in that future because, I mean, one of the main, uh, I suppose, defences used by um, those organisations that are benefiting from pokies and, and selling them and the like is that, that they're aimed at adults and adults should be free to choose and uh, it's the adults' behaviour using these machines that really we should be looking at rather than the machines themselves. But where do you see the actual machines going? Are you alarmed? Uh, at the kinds of machines that we're likely to to get here soon,
1: I I am alarmed, and I'm also I'm, I'm alarmed at the future um, future machines which are coming. But I'm also alarmed that there is a um, there is a focus of the industry on attracting younger audiences to poker machines, and I actually sat in at a conference in Macau, where that was a main point of discussion among the uh, three executives of the poker machine executives who are on the panel. Um, they are trying to build machines which are even more immersive than the ones that we have today. So in Macau, for example, one of the feature products of IGT, which is the largest poker machine manufacturer in the world, was a 3D machine. and it Looked like a um, like an arcade racing game in that there was a there was the machine, but there was also an accompanying multimedia chair with speakers directly behind a player's ear. There was a slider on the screen for a player to adjust the intensity of the three D experience, and there were also uh, two thermal eye-tracking cameras just above the screen but invisible to the player, which gauge the exact position of the player so as to configure the 3D images accordingly. So I guess what what we see now in Australia does seem very advanced, but they are only going to get more advanced in the future.
2: She just tuned in, we're speaking with Drew Rook all about his brand new book, One Last Spin, The Power and Peril of the Pokies. And there's some parallels made in this book with some other industries that have faced, uh, you know, quite significant change in in regulation and also stigma over the years, such as big tobacco. And we know there have been, you know, quite strong laws instituted in Australia around plain packaging and so on, and also the ability for people to to smoke in public spaces and eating areas in in pubs and, and hotels and the like. In the gambling world, though, there's been some uh, clubs, AFL clubs, for example, starting to move away from pokies. Do you think with this growing awareness of the harm that's caused by them that it would make it harder for um, you know AFL clubs or local sporting clubs to bring pokies in, given that a lot of people around Australia are actually quite OK with stricter regulations and, and reducing the number of pokies we have in this country?
1: Yeah, I, I, I really think it will. Um, as you mentioned, there are several AFL clubs who are divesting um, Melbourne Demons um, announced that recently, and Geelong are moving down that down that path as well. And alongside those efforts within the AFL, there are numerous other community efforts which are really building momentum for reform, and they are having um, they are having tangible success. It's small, but it's incremental, and that is what happened with tobacco as well there were these small wins for the reform movement which eventually built enough momentum that made it impossible for governments not to enact stricter regulation it's just the, the i guess the difference is that big big gambling um is uh well what happened with big tobacco was you know 20 years 20 30 years ago before any significant changes started to happen and it's the differences in the timing really but the trajectory is very similar and
0: so as we know and big tobacco was the same that the these industries are very vigilant to any of these changes even at the grassroots level and i mean maybe maybe tell us about some of them some of the wins that we've had because it's it's um i think uh, important to hear what can build success and i suppose what local community what power there might be over i suppose um Deciding how many of these machines can be on street corners in in local suburbs and the like?
1: Sure. So, I mean, as I mentioned, the the, um, AFL clubs that are divesting from pokies is a a big win. Um, There is also a very um, large number of pubs and clubs which are divesting from poker machines and getting rid of them entirely after having them before um, it was since they since they were legalized, um, and that's that's a really significant step that the for-profit venues would choose to get rid of a very profitable product that they have in their establishment, um, and that's occurring uh, that's occur- occurring in South Australia, in Victoria, in New South Wales, in Queensland. So it's not confined to one specific area. There is a uh, organization set up in sydney called proudly pokies free which is celebrating those pubs and clubs which don't have poker machines and their um, volunteer base and membership is increasing a lot and the same is true for another organization a national organization called the alliance for gambling reform which is conducting numerous protests around the country and putting pressure on the afl and on other uh, on other organisations which benefit from uh, poker machines like Woolworths and Coles to to make significant reforms. And although the recent case involving Crown and Aristocrat in the Federal Court of Australia, um, which alleged that those two companies had engaged in misleading and deceptive conduct, uh, was ultimately unsuccessful, it was a significant step in the reform movement in that it was the first legal case to assess the design of poker machines, and I think that that is going to be the first of many, and the case, although it, although it lost, did um, did raise important issues which will no doubt be the subject of further litigation in the future
2: this is a very readable book even though the, you know, the subject matter that you're dealing with is quite dark and serious it, it is kind of light and entertaining in parts and one of the um, favourite parts of the book for me was your meeting with Nick Xenophon while he's munching on uh, organic cacao beans in his office um, but in Nick Xenophon of course he's not in federal parliament any longer we've lost a very strong anti-pokies campaigner we still of course have Andrew Wilkie who we can assume is continue, going to continue to uh, you know, push uh, the anti-pokies kind of agenda We've got a federal election coming up sometime uh, in the near future. Do you see this issue as being one that might play out prominently um, in the, the next election at the federal level? Uh,
1: I, I think it might. I think it might play out. Um, though, as you said, with Xenophon gone, uh, it is it is a significant loss. Though Wilkie is is committed to this cause and is constantly is constantly raising. Um, the issue in Parliament most recently with the uh, pokey leaks and the whistleblowers who came out with allegations against Crown Casino. I guess the the reason it it arose in the 2010 election was because of very favourable circumstances in there being a minority government. Um, And Wilkie had, had power in that scenario to raise the issue of gambling reform at a federal level that may happen again, um, it may not I, I don't think it will arise if if there aren't similar circumstances
0: and I imagine too. I mean we have a state election here in Victoria in November, and after watching uh, and I suppose it was well commented on too the the strong uh, campaign uh, by hotels lobby in support of or against some proposed um, changes in both Tasmania and South Australia. Do you think if anyone sticks their head up on this issue, that will likely be repeated here in Victoria?
1: There's, there's no doubt that the clubs and the hotels will will uh, push um, a very strong campaign if anyone does raise the issue of gambling reform. There's, there's no doubt about that. In, in fact, in industry um, publications and in the correspondence, um, they uh, say that they have no hesitation to pull out the playbook of... of the 2010 uh, minor seeds campaign which they waged so um,
0: and, and know, it, uh, is their be... right I suppose to do that but I suppose you know is it therefore unlikely do you think that any major party will stick their head up because we certainly haven't heard it yet
1: I think I think it's unlikely but not not impossible and I mean what happened in Tasmania I think is is evidence of that that Announcement by uh, Tasmanian Labour that they would remove all pokies from pubs and clubs really came out of the blue. There was a uh, parliamentary report just, just before that announcement, which didn't go as far, um, as it would, didn't make as strong a stronger recommendation as that. Um, they just called for a reduction in numbers, and then the, uh, the Tasmanian Labour came out and announced that. So I, I don't think it's impossible for that to be repeated in Victoria or New South Wales, but it will take some, uh, some internal or some workings inside the, inside the parties for that to come about.
2: And you've been immersed in the world of pokies for the last um, couple of years, at least, Through in the course of writing this book. You've now um, put the book out and it's available for people to buy from bookstores and online. Are you going to continue to follow this issue?
1: Um, most certainly, um, and then as, I, as I mentioned, the growing the growing um, community reform movement really interests me, and I'm fascinated to see how that evolves.
0: Well, um, with the title "One Last Spin," makes it sound like uh, the gambling industry is a little bit on its knees. I'm not sure if that's quite intended or even quite true, but uh, it's optimistic nonetheless from um, for, for many people's ears. I think. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for speaking to us on Triple R.
1: Thanks very much.
0: One last spin, The Power and Peril of the Pokies is uh, Drew Rook's first book. Uh, is out through Scribe, if you're interested in chasing up on that. Uh, welcome Sally Riffin back. Uh, she comes here every month on R to talk all things children's books and here she is. Hello. Hello, one of my favourite places to be. And uh, Tony <laughs> Wilson joins us today because um, he's just been pulled out of the hat again. National Simultaneous storytime. He's back. An, a- an annual event where picture books are written and illustrated by Australian auth- authors and illustrators and read simultaneously in libraries, schools, preschools, childcare centres, family homes, bookstores and many other places. Uh, and actually last year his book was chosen as well out of the hat. I don't know, The Cow Tripped Over the Moon by Tony Wilson and Laura Wood. And this year his book uh, Hickory Dickory Dash, also illustrated by Laura, was selected and it's more than just the hat, isn't it?
3: It's a good hat, i might just <laughs> say. I'm pretty happy with the hat. No, it was a very big surprise to know that I was a being put up for it again, and B that I got it. Hi Sally, thank you for getting me in. <laughs> um, it is. Were well, you incre-
0: responsible? No, 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 <laughs> not <laughs> at know, all. Know. So
3: it was. Um, I think what happened, it, and certainly Scholastic pitched a couple of titles, and one of them was Mem Fox, and so your your listeners could um, could decide whether I needed the kick along more than Mem Fox, and possibly I do, uh, but certainly. <laughs> But certainly there's, a, I think, a sense that, um, that I was a safe pair of hands. So last year they bumped up overall numbers for National Simultaneous Storytime to 686,000 registrations. And I think the idea was, hey, that guy has spoken before. When a microphone goes in front of him, man, he just motors on, you know. So, <laughs> so can he push it up for us again? And the aim this year is to get to a million registrations. And, and so here I am. Pushing, wow. pushing, pushing, trying that to do, trying to do them proud. Having uh, corruptly chosen me twice, that's quite the challenge. A million—it's a lot of lot of registrations. Are you going to get there? We're over eight hundred thousand. Okay. So, and, and the, New Zealand this year
4: for the first time too, isn't it? So that's right. Yep. So we've
3: had a big bonus because the cross ditch children are in, and they are registering um, hard and fast as well. So, basically, yeah, we're hoping that um, that extra country being involved—if you can get a whole new landmass—that's a good way of. Finding registrations.
0: <laughs> well, it is significant, and I suppose tell us um, uh, how it went last year. The the sort of format of it. What do, what do you do as um, as as the storyteller in this big event?
3: So. The Scholastic are my publisher and their home base, I guess, here in Melbourne is the Royal Children's Hospital where they've built a book bunker and they've actually done that at a few of the children's hospitals around the country. And so all the children's hospitals are signed up for the NSS this year and it'll be piped through all into all the, the hospital wards. Um, but certainly, um, and every kid in the hospital will receive a copy of the book. But the idea I think is that I go there. So last year it was there, this year I'm there and read to an auditorium and maybe four or five schools are sh- shipped in to be the live audience and then there was a live stream of it. So if you, if you sign up to um, NSS on the ALIA website, you've got access to my new greyly bearded self doing a read <laughs> in the hospital auditorium um, and, uh, and there's also Storybox Library which has Jay Lagaya um, he's reading it and you, and you might just play that at the front of the room if you don't want to go Wilson Livestream. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but there's something about your stories I think that works so well for Read Aloud as well. I mean, I've just put up on the, my notes in front of me, fairy tales and footy. That seems to be the area that you cover <laughs> yeah. really well. And, you know, taking those traditional rhymes and making them modern, the illustrations are really funky and really cool. So... In that way, it is a safe bet. They're going to be great read aloud books and they've got a rhythm, they've got a rhyme to it. So whether you're experienced in reading aloud to kids or not across the country and New Zealand, it's going to be a really fun book to read. So that's a pretty safe bet too. What is it about um, fairy tales that draws you to that?
3: Well, I started, I think the one that I did first was the Hans Christian Andersen, um, The Princess and the Pea, which became The Princess and the Packet of Frozen Peas. And I realised how much fun that was. And and probably the thing that really drew me to that kind of adaptation of well-known stories was the Roald Dahl collection from my childhood. I can still recite Those, um, you know, I guess you think you know this story. You don't. The real one's much more gory. You know, it's still absolutely embedded in my, you know, 10-year-old consciousness. So at some point I had a crack at... the Princess and the Pea is an annoying story because why would she be you know, why is she congratulated for being porcelain? You know, why is feeling a pea under 20 mattresses and then bitching about it A+. Plus? <laughs> and so I thought, you know, that is such so ripe for modernisation and so, um, and, and the fun I had doing that meant that I've always had my eye and ear open for one and, and The Cow Jumped Over the Moon just happens to be the one that I sing the most. I think it's a great tune and and the backstory to that, I ended up thinking, you know, the what if she didn't make it? What if she crashed and burned? And and winner, yeah.
2: <laughs> and now we've got Hickory Dickory Dash. Tell us about this book.
3: So that was, I mean, I would shamelessly say that that was, you know, that cows a success. It's national simultaneous story time. It got the second place in Australia for the, in the best book awards, and 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 so I I kind of went well, you know. I, i'm not a i'm not it's not i'm not above making the matrix part two you know like it's that sort of i've got to try to come up with something when you're that, into a good thing, yeah go exactly yeah. so i started trying to think of what um, nursery rhyme would shape up to a backstory and the, one of the nice elements of the cow tripped over the moon was it had a it has a time code at the top of each page it says you know um, 1141 pm moon attempt 3 <laughs> and i thought that that really worked and i felt like it was quite fresh for a picture book as well to kind of have that immediacy that made this ludicrous night feel quite believable. Mm. And, and so I thought, what, what else could have that time code? And sure enough, what's better than a nursery rhyme that gives you your deadline, you know? So <laughs> that, what, yeah, and I'll let you all play at home. But they, in Hickory Dickory Dock, we know what time she runs up the clock. And so <laughs> I've got a countdown going on, really. And so, and so that, that sort of lent itself to what should be the next one and then um and then i'd had to just think of a reason and a and a drama around what might be going on in the house that night
4: mm-hmm. well, you were saying that there's potentially going to be more in this series so you do that you take a traditional idea and then you think about the backstory you think about how you create something a little bit more modern for kids can you give us an inkling of where you're heading to next
3: yeah so i i'm doing Baba black sheep as the backstory and and I, you might think hang on you're not seriously going to do colored sheep are you i feel like <laughs> colored sheep have been done in the canon of children's literature uh and that is a good point um and but i but i i figure i've got a slight twist on it, which is that the master and the dame, and I can hear you all out there going, oh, he's not going to use master and dame, is he? That's a little (laughs) bit, you know, (laughs) that's a bit 1950s get back in the kitchen, isn't it? But I am going to do master and dame because I've got to stick with the original language. Um, And so they fight over each set of bags and... There's, you know, you can count the bags of coloured wool because they're visiting different coloured sheep in the backstory. Until and and it's just mayhem. The bags get destroyed each different way, each page, and then finally you get to the end. And um, there's a black sheep. (laughs) Three. There's three bags. There's a black sheep, and there's a little boy who's saying, "Why do you do this to each other?" And they say, "Well, how are we going to split it up? How could we possibly split it up?" one for the little boy who lived down the lane. Yeah. Man, oh, man, it's going to be big. <laughs> and, you,
4: and you managed to do all this in rhyme too. So, yeah. you know, people think it's easy to write a children's book, but that, you know, you've know you got to get all that, you've got to get the character, you've got to get the development, then you've got to make it really fun to read aloud as well.
3: Oh, uh, you do. So it's uh, they're, 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 To be honest, the hardest part, I sat around for probably close to a year to crank out Bar Bar, thinking what is the next one. Um, So it's just hard to get the idea that has something that is fun to read, a combination of fun and has a resonant message, i.e. sharing. Um, Hickory dickory dash, adventure, courage, family, togetherness, um, because there's a mother mouse looking for the the lost mice and and cow tripped over the moon, perseverance and persistence and sticking at stuff, you know. So you kind of trying for fun, you're trying for rhyme, you're trying for a message and the those things coalescing sometimes take a fair while but the actual art of writing it, you know, banging it out and getting the words right, I, that doesn't take so long, you know, it takes you can do It's all in
0: it. the concept. So Concepts what about hard. and what about the the pairing with Laura Wood?
3: Wow, lucky! The same lucky hat that pulled me out for um, NSS twice. So to have Laura pulled out the first time, you know. And this has happened. I'm on my um, tenth picture book, I think. So, I've had quite a few illustrators. Um, had some fantastic ones too. Um, most of whom go on to be. You know, million sellers on their next couple of projects that don't involve me. <laughs> David Cornish got monster blood tattoo yeah. after we did Granniesaurus Rex became huge. Um, Sue DiGenaro has uh, has had a has done. A, <laughs> <what? so> beautiful. <laughs> Maybe it's something to do
0: with your your background in community radio. It kind of happens as well in community radio. People start and then yeah, whoa. <laughs> off they go.
3: They <laughs> Sam Pang me exactly. <laughs> um, so off they go and um, no, I, I'm I'm being a little bit facetious i've been pr- plenty um, happy with how things have gone but the the certainly um it felt like a few of them were moving on not not out of anything other than you know didn't really have a series to stay with me on but as you pointed out, this is kind of a, a, a repeatable event to do a nursery rhyme and a backstory to a, a nursery rhyme, and so it's what's so fortunate is that Laura does belong in this kind of um, area of sort of a message, but fun and vibrant and colourful, and yet she gets shadows and dark and night and mood. You know, she's a real star, and she got picked. You know, pretty much for her first book was the car Tripped over the moon. But she's, you know, very in demand and, you know, she did Anne Doe's lovely one. When I say lovely, that's that's exactly 180 degrees, the wrong word. Uh, (laughs) What do they do with all the poo from all the animals at the zoo? Do you know that one? Yeah, lovely. It's a winner. (laughs) So that sort of book, which is right in the sweet spot of Anne's uh, (laughs) children's book canon, um, she she did a great job on that. And
2: if you just tuned in, we're um, talking all things kids' books in our monthly reading room segment with Sally Rippon, joined by Tony Wilson this morning as well. And as Sally mentioned it, there's kind of, I guess, two pillars to your career as a writer. On the one hand, you've got fairy tales and rhyme that you play with. On the other side is football. And you've got a story in a new book called "Specky Tacular AFL Stories," and I've got the book in front of me, and I've noticed there's an AFL logo on it. Does that mean it's endorsed by the AFL in in some way, or have you just poached it and whacked it on the front? Well, I don't,
3: it's got <laughs> nothing to do with me. This book. So when I say nothing to do with me, I've got a piece in it. So I've done a few anthologies over the years where you just do uh, you know a, a piece. Of, you know, this one I think is about three thousand words or two thousand words, and you hand it over, and then the book belongs to. The publisher and you never see royalties or anything like that. You get paid a flat fee. So the way it works is the AFL can put – they license one publisher. So not every publisher can just go and crank out an AFL story um, using the names of the clubs or, like, for example, if I wrote – if I wanted to call my – one of the teams in my book Essendon and have an Essendon jumper – i can 't do that without it being published by penguin mm. um, i 'd have to call my team the the Northern uh, Dragons and you can have a footy book and but it 's got to not belong to the um, trademark of the AFL mm. so they only license one publisher, mm. which I found tricky because I had you know the story that is in this spectacular book um, was originally pitched to penguin as part of a collection. Of stories for the AFL, um, and the AFL, uh, Penguin didn't take it. And then they asked for one, and they've got any AFL stories? And I said, Well, what about the 11 I pitched to you the other week? And they said, Yeah, we'll put one of those Sounds in. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's about but you th- can't go elsewhere
0: with the idea, basically.
3: No, you can't. No, you right. can't. So I, I investigated self publishing, in fact. So I was going to um, see if the AFL Players Association, because it's about kids interacting with their favorite player if the afl players association would back me and we just badge it with the afl players logo and that would have been possible but i'd have to self-publish and then self-publishing distribution yourself what do you reckon sally good fun
4: oh yeah but if you've you got want to
3: have a big garage do you don't, don't you. want to
4: do anything else <laughs> in your life other than drive around the country yeah yeah <laughs> I think these days self-publishing has become more viable because I think people, you can outsource certain parts of it and you can actually create really beautiful quality books now yourself in the way that you couldn't when I started out 20 years ago. Um, So there are people who do quite well out of self-publishing, but often the people who do well are the ones who self-publish their first couple of books and then they get taken up by a big publisher, Um, Matthew Riley being a great example.
3: Yeah. Uh, It's just, just, I have done the... You know, trying to move, for example, some books that have remained or whatever. And the idea of actually getting it round to bookshelves, mm. book, booksellers or speaking to Target and getting an interview with Big W to see if they'll put your book in. Mm. And they don't even, like, they, there's so many sort of self published authors that to even get the interview to mm. see whether they'll put your book in.
4: There's a reason is, why a publishing house has someone yeah. specifically who does that. Yeah.
3: yeah. And the frustration is that I think authors are over a barrel, you know. And in fact, I spoke to a, a kids' author the other day. Um, who said to me that surely it's the next big thing? What authors are paid? And I said, surely it isn't. It's been a hundred years, and no one's changed anything. But it's uh, it is it is disgraceful what, what authors are paid. You know the the idea that it's a flat fee, like it really doesn't alter. Like you could be the best negotiator in the world, and you will not get your your royalty above twelve percent. So and, and illustrators and authors share the creative. So, um, so you'd be at the very best six percent, but pretty much it's standard ten percent um, or five percent, five percent if it's um, author illustrator. So the idea of how do you become rich on that when a book sells for twenty bucks? You've got to sell a bestseller. Andy, Andy Griffith might sell two hundred fifty thousand in his first week. So he. They're bringing in, let's say, you can make a bucket book two hundred fifty thousand bucks in a week, and a bit more over the course of the year, but very much concentrated into that initial release, and and so to, there's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a star who's brilliant on every level, who's loved, who's an icon. You know, you're not yeah. getting as much as the PA to the fifteenth in charge at the NAB. You know. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Which is why we all do a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was
0: yeah. just digesting that, yeah. and uh, I mean, comparing to banking, I suppose when you're writing for children, you've got pretty pretty good code of ethics going on. Have new moral compass and everything.
4: Well, it does balance out. I guess it's tricky, isn't it? Because I would say that would be the case for most creative artists in this country, particularly because our audience is so small. So, for example, if you publish in the UK or if you bring out a single in the UK, your niche market can make you viable, whereas we have such a small audience here that you can't be a niche. And a lot of publishers are really struggling to stay afloat as well because people forget that if you go into a store and you get the expertise from the bookseller and then you go home and buy it from Amazon $5 cheaper, you're actually destroying a whole industry. So it really is about keeping the whole industry afloat and seeing that we all support each other which is you know i guess part of what this um the national simultaneous story time is about is about promoting australian literature is what i try to do with this show and so it is that thing that if we can all see that we're working for the right reasons of getting books out into kids hands and enabling us to continue to be able to do yeah, it. Yeah. Then people, you know, put their money where the mouth is. I guess and they go into the bookstores and buy those books.
0: And story time, this um, National Simultaneous Storytime is in conjunction with ALIA, which is the Libraries Association. And I suppose having... Uh, librarians in schools which you've spoken about many times on this program about that's been a challenge i'm i'm hearing that that you know more schools are prioritizing Mm -hmm. that side of things now than we've seen in the past which is a positive i don't know how much the numbers have gone up it was sitting at 13 percent of schools had librarians um for some for a while in victorian primary schools at least so we're seeing a move there do you see that this
4: kind of initiative um, is buoying I suppose um, the library sector as well. I think everything feeds into it and I think the reason why the book industry has even managed to stay afloat is because people are passionate enough about it. There are enough people that believe in the importance of books particularly in getting kids to read and so while a parent might sacrifice their own buying they will see that it's really important for kids to have a book and I think that's been a debate that's been ongoing and kind of kept... book industry afloat through all the fears of, you know, is a doom and gloom, is because people really care. And that's why bookstores like Readings do so well, because it is all about creating community, customer service, connecting with your readers, events, supporting book writers, creators, publishers, and seeing that, you know, without that support, there is a chance that it would disappear. Imagine a city with no books. And (laughs) it just can't work.
3: And I mean this is just another event. The event of Book Week I think is a huge thing in, in our culture like it's a really fun thing in the primary school calendar um, and I think they're hoping with NSS that this is a you know, and it's, it's not book week but it's at a different time of the year everyone thinks about and people are, are dressing up you know librarians have gone and got cat costumes for the Library hickory dickory dash and it's, yeah. it's National Library Week and there's the opportunity to make you know posters and artworks and tie into the themes of the book and, and to the characters of the book and, and that certainly happened the last two years and you know what, what I think I'm seeing like we got I think it was close to an extra 300,000 registrations last year we're already 200 Thousand registrations above last year. This year, aiming for and Wednesday And technology week.
0: enables this as well, doesn't it? Mm. That yeah. ability, strong link-ups between and that's schools a good point.
3: and yeah. ha- hashtags, and people sending me the the pictures of what their school has done. They've done banners, and they've made little dolls houses for the mice, and you, know, you kind of get all these amazing acts of creativity, and and just to have it on the calendar for schools and kinders and and educators, and to know that oh, we can do something. I know, I know. In in May next year, we'll be signed up to NSS, and whatever the title is, we'll have activities structured around that, and it just becomes part of the calendar. And it's a book driving it, and that's a really good thing. And
0: next year, they already know it's going to be bar, bar. I'm what, looking forward, forward to that. that. <laughs> 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 you
3: <pitch> in early? <laughs> so you're that, pretty popular then with all the hat. other
0: author illustrators in Does Australia. That, then
3: we're happy. It for has. The a, well, I go, the reason I'm here is actually that, that Sally is my permanent bodyguard. I can no longer uh, walk <laughs> the streets safely because of and the. I'm such
4: a. Big, muscly one at that, aren't yeah,
3: I? <laughs> because of the good fortune of this coming to me twice. And, and I, I can imagine that, that there would be, as you said, it's hard yakka and it is a bit of a game changer to get this nod. And so there would be author illustrators who would say, why him? You know, he's already had a go. It wasn't his turn. And uh, I, my response to that was, I was surprised, but I'm very pleased and I'm going to do my best to make sure it's a successful NSS.
4: Sounds
0: good. Yeah, <laughs> and and people can still sign up to it, I think. Um, Wednesday, the 23rd of May, and I know school curriculum is pretty um, congested these days, but it's 11 a.m., and I think uh, you can... I mean, the website, the uh, um, ALIA, the ALIA website, still has registration written on it, yeah, so I yeah, figure you can click uh, on it. Mm.
3: Absolutely, you can still sign up. I'm, uh, that's why I'm kind of hoping you will, So, and anyone can. You can be And mums, you can do it at home. You if can do it. Mums and dads at home can yep. do it, and um, mothers' groups and fathers' groups. And um, anyone who's going to have a batch of kids around, and we're going to you're going to open up a book and and entertain them on Wednesday with this.
4: Yeah, I'd love to give a, a last little shout out to Storybox Library too, because we were um, Tony and I were chatting about them before in the green room about how how many authors did you say they've got?
3: Well, I don't know how many authors, but they certainly we seriously listen to it every night. This is mm. not a um, like me plugging them sort of like I'll you should do it I do do it I have four kids and I can't read to all of them at once mm. so um, Jack in particular loves um, having the iPad um, put next to him and, and he watches um, you know he, he they're all stars to him mm. Fiona um, Harris. Fiona Harris <laughs> he, she reads quite a few of them and Danny Katz's reads and, and Sally's got a couple of reads on there as well that are excellent so it's basically 150 plus stories and
4: it's an
3: app is it Sally Don't remind us it's how a, it's a, su- a, sub- it's a, a website
4: that you can on that schools can subscribe to, or homes can as well. It's only and
3: forty bucks for individuals. It's
4: Fantastic, and you can. I think it's a new story a week. I should have really done the yeah. research on this. Before, it's, but it's about
3: that. Yeah. Um, and Hickory Dickory Dash went up this week, read by Jay Lagaya, the place school icon. Um, so, and it's a good <laughs> read this Jay. year. <laughs> it's a solid read, Jay. Thank you very much.
0: And so, Storybook Library and National simultaneous storytimes—two um, things that you should. Um, definitely get involved with and Sally's launching a book on the 1st of June can't they <laughs> like, because you never promote yourself on this show except it's for... not really
4: about me I know
0: <laughs> and she really is that humble people it's crazy <laughs> but anyway Polly and Buster the new one um, part two of four I understand um, is going to be launched on the 1st of June uh, over at the Little Book Room uh, I think if you haven't registered already maybe you're, you're done for that one. Little Book
4: Room might be um, sold out but there'll be a lot of other opportunities I'll be doing some bookstores and book signings and that kind of thing so yeah much Hopefully anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have been
0: dressing up as witches for a whole year waiting for yeah. this new one to come well, out.
3: My Polly, she's uh she's very pleased. She's taken it as a personal nod of endorsement because she's from met Sally, Sally before. Yeah, and yeah, Now there's a Polly signed Absolutely. to her. Sally just has to pretend it is her and it'll all be oh, fine. No pretends. <laughs> no
0: pretends. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you, oh, and um great. and for always coming into Triple R and um and telling us so much about you know pulling the curtain aside to the book industry. It's really appreciated. Uh, Tony Wilson, Sally Rippon. Um, See you later Thank you (laughs) See you in for month
2: And for Jones If you didn't know already He's a hip hop artist With many years in the game Formerly a member of 1200 Techniques He now performs In a range of different guises Including with Afro Funk Collective Cool Out Sun And a bunch of other collaborators as well He's set to appear at Howler This coming Sunday And ahead of that He's been good enough To stop by the Triple R Studios How are you going? I'm good It's it's been a nice morning
5: (laughs) Really nice Has
0: the fog lifted?
5: Uh, The fog in my head or the fog in
2: the skies? (laughs) Open question. I think both of them have lifted a little. Uh That's good. It was pretty cold out there when I came in at about 8am. Yeah. That chill was in the air.
5: Yeah, it's it's real.
2: (laughs) It's warm in here though. It's nice and toasty.
5: (laughs) Oh, it's great in here. It's always good. (laughs) Especially when you've got a nice peppermint tea and... What have you to warm you up? It's That's great. right. right. We'll look after you. Anyone can stop in and raid our tea chest in the mm. kitchen. Sometimes I do. I pretend I've got an interview just so I can come in. And
2: <laughs> I just thought you were, yeah, hanging out for interviews with Chris Gill or something all the time.
5: You know, I'm waiting for Chris. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, okay. Chris must have messed up again. I'm like, yeah, he must have. Do you mind if I have a coffee? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just once. <laughs>
2: um, so you've got an event coming up you're appearing at at Howler this coming Sunday, Sensible yeah. Antics Presents Any Rhythm Sunday Garden Show. So these events have run, um, I think, maybe every month or so. They're pretty regular occasions, Arvo shows down at Howler. How do they mm. normally run down Yeah, there?
5: they started uh, in the summer and they've been just doing well I think I think Ant might get mad at me if I'm wrong but I feel like this is the last one and then there's a break because of winter could be wrong he might keep it rolling and he'll be like Ant what are you talking about and if he's rolling his eyes right now sorry bro <laughs> but um, yeah he's been running them once a month different awesome acts playing uh, It's a Gambian Jazz Band played the last one um, he's had some awesome acts and different different people come through and I've been blessed to play with Cool Out Sun as well and this one I'll be rocking with Billy Hoyle who, um, who produced that last tune, actually, that you're just playing. Uh, he'll be on the decks and Mantra will be in the house and also Young Artist Jelly Threads. So it should be really nice. It's just um, beer garden vibes that bring in a sound system and just kick it. It's pretty easy going. I think it usually kicks off around three. Yeah. And ends around six or seven, somewhere there. Nice. So just get in early. It's not like you got to pay and stress out. Well, just yeah, it's roll free, isn't it? And, you can just yeah. roll
2: up and, and hang out.
5: Yeah. I usually ride my bike there. Hopefully, it'll be one of those nice, sunny, chilly days and they can have the heaters on and be a good vibe.
2: (laughs) Mm. Um, And, I mean, this gig coming up this Sunday also coincides with, um, I guess, the early part of a new uh, accredited hip-hop diploma at Box Hill Institute (laughs) that you've been part of uh, writing and and teaching as well. It's pretty cool to be teaching hip-hop and to have that kind of um, I guess forum to teach that craft how did you get involved in it's cool
5: I mean there's some really cool workshops and you know sort of groups including other projects that that mantra runs that are awesome where you can get some really great knowledge and do different kinds of workshops with this it's pretty crazy because Box Hill Provide like uh, it's a diploma in, in music industry, but based on hip hop. So they have some in jazz and sort of rock-based ones and different things. Whereas with this, it's more directed at hip hop. So got Des One, who's a studios around the corner, actually producing um, really cool beats. He's teaching beat making, and then Serena Screamy is teaching business components, um, teaching performance components, and match teaching songwriting components. And the idea is that people can become self-sufficient artists and not be sort of caught behind the fog of what to do with your music and how to get it out or steps they can take that can skip a few years of trial and error, just, you know, let's try this or just different things to make them think on a different level. It's quite hard when you're trying to take that step and work out what you're supposed to be doing. And some people it's just an interesting adventure and journey that they want to do. So, you know, Box Hill doing that's a really cool step that they've taken plus moving most of Sing Sing out there. It's now Sing Sing East that they're setting up in Box Hill with his amazing studios and it's cool and it's really cool to be teaching with, with peers and people I respect. And and it's also cool that the Institute, um, you know, push for us to stay current in music and do shows so we have to sort of back each other's classes up sometimes. Like I might be out of town like I was over oh, here last weekend. yeah, yeah. And, and what have you. But it's, it's all really cool and it's good that we get to do a show this Sunday that involves me and Mantra who are now, you know, lecturers, teachers, (laughs) but students come, but it's not like they're students they're people who love hip hop and and anyone can come check it out but it's just kind of cool, like I didn't think I'd be in a situation where it was like, "Here, yeah, come, come check your teacher, do what he does." <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, fresh. it's yeah, fresh.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, looking back, I mean, you've been, um, you know, performing for a long time. Twelve hundred Techniques was formed back in mm. in the nineties. Mm. What was it like, kind of navigating the music industry at that time, as you know, a, a young person trying to kind of find your feet and and work out what the best things are for you, but also not getting tied up in contracts and someone that might not be to your advantage.
5: To be honest, it was really tricky because. There was no path laid for a hip-hop-based thing, let alone for us being the group who took it and won that first ARIA and made people respect Australian hip-hop and listen to songs like Nosebleed Section by Hilltop Hoods and actually listen to it with respect instead of, oh, it's just that funny Aussie, rappy rap stuff and go, oh, look what it can do, this band kills it on stage. And everyone started really building their show, but there wasn't a path like... uh, or someone I could talk to within this industry... Who would be like, "Oh man, be careful of this. This is coming. That issue you're having there. Yeah, I went through that. Maybe you should consider this." I had to listen to someone who was maybe in a rock world or a jazz world or a funk world, and did it really correlate? Mm. And could I really connect? And did, were they in the same situation? So, whereas now there's a lot more of that out there as, as a bigger community. So I found it quite difficult, quite alone, and also like I guess I had questions because being a person of color sometimes I wasn't really too focused on that but looking back I was like oh yeah there was a few issues that I wasn't looking at whereas now there's also a bigger community and a bigger community of like-minded people who um who are are not people of color but just like-minded people Mm. that are people of soul and so that that community is also bigger and built so it's a, it feels safer now, and also back then it was such a reliance on labels and those guys in their terrible suits and their ideas and opinions of what everyone should be, and how you we had to sort of tell them how it had to be. I remember Pearl in particular was very like, "This is the single. Oh, we think you need a single. This is the single, and this one, and that one. We're going to do this," and they're like, "Nah, nah, yeah, yeah," and we had to fight every step to make things happen. And I love that now you can do so much yourself if you have an idea and a direction you know the internet's created this world of just loads of garbage i have to say and loads of mess but it also gives everyone the opportunity to do things that they wouldn't have the opportunity to do and no confines and you can create your own direction and you know amidst the the same mess but the mess is part of the madness that's magic (laughs) to me uh great things come of it and people who are making music just from their rooms are able to have platforms that they can put it out there and really create something great Mm.
0: and i I mean there's you know conservatoriums all over the world and i think there's kind of long traditions of of study music study is there Um, [3] when it comes to hip-hop and hip-hop courses and the support that you're talking about is that evident around the world in in the states in 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 the uk places
5: again it's more like really cool workshops and or running series like for example Mantra does this thing called Dig Deep which is really cool but it'll be things like that like I was teaching one out in East London in, in Hackney and there'll, there'll be that kind of thing but in New York I know there's a new really dope course that's opening and I think Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest is one of the lecturers and I believe they have something over in Berkeley and that's like a really full on set up because they, they are the people whose form it is it's not like it, it's them it's their thing I've met guys I'm um, hanging out in Harlem and, they're, and it's like oh you are actually hip hop like you were in that block doing those shoes before it was in a magazine. It's like those classic photos of the skateboarder kids, um, the, the Dogtown, t- dog Dogtown and Z Boys. I think it was in the in the skater bowls where they're in the swimming pools. Mm. They hadn't seen that. They were those people. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not, so when you're there and you're like, oh, they are these people. So, <laughs> so for them, it's an extension of understanding themselves and that sort of struggle. Whereas here, it's 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 using and sharing that amazing platform and that amazing. Art form and that form of revolution to help empower people mm. across the world in different ways. And I think it's about how to share that and help people better themselves. And that's a really cool part of the course for me is whether you come out of it and you become an artist or not, if I can help you better yourself, then that, that's, that's a big box tick for me.
0: Yeah, who are the students? Who Where are they hailing from? From
5: all over, really cool students. We've got a couple of um, really cool ladies who are fantastic. We've got... Um, uh, just a bunch of dudes and it's, it's really real variance like there's one student who's a jazz student and he's really good at composing but he's really intrigued in hip hop and how jazz and hip hop work together uh, we've got another kid who's just freestyles and he's always in the malls freestyling and pushing his music and he has, a, I'm not going to say names or anything but he has <laughs> like his his, uh, his banner of what he's about and all his dot coms and then we've got people who are just really intrigued and want to develop there are people who just, just love hip hop um, and you know, I think I think there's it's a really interesting dynamic because everyone's different. And the crazy thing about music is it makes you hang out with people you might not have hung out with, but you connect over music. Mm. Uh, and it's it's been really interesting for me as well, learning from them. Um, some of one guy's particularly motivated all the time, and I was like, I was being asked by one guy, you know, how do you how do you stay building? How do you? And then this guy said something exciting. I'm like, how do I stay like that? How do I keep that motivation? I said, by that kind of motivation, and tr- and just receiving from it and sharing it back. So, it's a, it's a nice range. It's a nice range. I'd say the average class age is probably around twenty five or so. Yeah good good people. They're not
2: they're not silly. Yeah, and I guess when you started out, there wasn't a lot of kind of Australian hip-hop, at least that was commercially successful, and, and over that time um, there's been a whole bunch of acts like yourself, and at the moment acts like Sampa the Great, Remy and mm. so on, who are doing amazing things. Are you finding that, that the young people who are coming to your course kind of reference those sorts of contemporary Australian artists <laughs> as much as they might those kind of big acts from kind of the golden era of hip-hop? A lot of them reference a contemporary artist
5: um australian and also and also yeah and abroad they uh, some of the cats know about a lot of the old school and we're trying to Mm -hmm. make sure they know about the inventors of everything um but it's a real variance you know some some cat some of those students are straight into trap and might have started just getting into hip-hop the last few years and others are all talking about cool g rap and big daddy Mm -hmm. Kane and um referencing hilltop hoods and one of the guys was freaking out because he realised I was in twelve hundred techniques recently, and it's just interesting. You're that guy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, oh yeah, well, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm not like, yeah, that's me, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Shall we? Shall we do this class? You know, it's um, it, it's nice. It's it's cool. It's it's a mm-hmm. good vibe, and I feel very blessed to be a part of it.
2: Yeah, well, you've got this event coming up at um, the gig you're appearing at at Howard this week, but you've also got a mm. show coming up as part of the Melbourne International Jazz Festival with, um, with uh, Cool Out Sun. Tell us about that show, because that's a great... Um, you've been together for around about a year. Is that yeah, right, playing, playing together? about a
5: year. We're about to start releasing music, actually. Um, yeah, Cool Out Sun, S-U-N. Um, it's great fun because, you know, like, like I was saying with teaching, now, um, I'm always trying to be a student and working with Sonko and Nui Moon and Sensible Jay. Is always a high, deeper level I have to go to with writing. And there's so many ways to develop as an MC, you know, because at the end of the day, an MC is somewhere between a drum and, say, a lead saxophone, but with words. So it's mm-hmm. rhythms and patterns and finding melody within it all. And we call our sound, it's just great fun because it's this Afro beat, Afro soul project. And we, we write, I think, fairly deep sort of content songs, mm. but it's the vibe is always to make you feel good through it. Even if I might be talking about something quite heavy, the outcome's always a good feeling. Um, so it's been awesome. We've done a, quite a lot of shows already from, you know, played a bunch of different festivals, St. Kilda Fest and Truby Fields and uh, Hills Are Alive and we supported 3070 the other night. We've, there's, there's more gigs. It's been great. So it's a real honor to be getting so many opportunities for a group that hasn't released anything yeah. yet and even had, I think, Chris Skill here and um, uh, Risky over at PBS has played, like, demos <laughs> yeah, <or> <laughs> not, not. <laughs> release stuff so um, it'd be cool to be yeah we're releasing 5-4 which is a song that's in a 5-4 rhythm uh, in the next couple of weeks with a video cool. a friend Claudia cool. shot and our, I guess our official gig after that release to sort of support that will be um, Jazz Out West this is part of the free series of events. So you've mm. got the Melbourne International Jazz Fest and then there's a free series of shows jazz out west in Footscray area. So we we'll would be playing The Reverence uh, on the Saturday, I think that's...
2: Yeah, the night, 9th of June, I think
5: that's it that is. that Saturday At the, the night?
2: In, in Footscray, that Sounds yeah. right.
5: It's going to be really good fun. And the next day we've got to get up and fly up to Perisher where we're playing up there it's cool wow, outside which geez. should be pretty cool fun <laughs> maybe
0: there'll be some snow it
5: might it's been cold enough I was thinking nah it's just going to be dry but there might actually be a never little never know so. in
0: Australia really with snow
5: <laughs> yeah I think it's the start of their pig festival season uh-huh. so we'll be up there for that afterwards but really looking forward to Jazz Out West
0: so you, you've had a bit of a lifestyle change this year I understand like you've you've Been a small business person, run cafe recently, yeah. Yeah. And so, are you? Have you got more time now to tour and make music and
5: teach and no? No, because I got children, so there's never any time for anything. None. It's just you (laughs) find (laughs) time when you have the inspiration. You realize those little gaps, those moments that you would usually waste and chill when you don't have kids. Ah, yeah, whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, I have five minutes. I have an hour, or I'm so tired. But if I just, I'm just going to go into the back room and write a song like the Osafo Sambas record I did with Billy Hoyle. I just did that at evenings. I was just like, I'm just going to stay up and be tired for a month wow. and just see if I can write this thing, um, see if it's any good. I did it in secret and then played it to Billy. And he was like, this is great. What do you want to do with it? I, thought, I don't know, put it out, bank app, whatever. <laughs> so that was kind of <laughs> Actually, now I'm
0: going and, to sleep. <laughs> yeah,
5: that's how it is. So, yeah, time is not easy. But I think if you have things you love and you're not going to let things get in the way and you just... I prepared to let your body suffer a bit and just stay awake, or use every spare moment. Like I write rhymes and songs in my in my uh, smartphone. I'm not going to push the brand in my smartphone whenever I can, or I record ideas into the recorder, and then I'll go home and use that. Um, you know, it is what it is. It was the same before. Ideas come, you use them. It's just mm. I can't do things when I want, like oh, right now, because I'm in the midst of teaching, or I'm in the midst of picking my kid up, or I'm in the midst of cooking some dinner or I'm in the you know it's like so you just make it work when you can yeah but it also makes me more vacant and airheaded than normal like I'm a bit dreamy kind of guy so I'm (laughs) even worse because I'm trying to remember these things before I forget them so I'm in the midst of stuff people are talking to me but I'm miles away singing songs (laughs) or trying to think about what my next class is going to be and what we're going to do for the course or what have you or in this case like oh have I hit up Billy Hoyle about this Sunday at Howler Sensible Antics yeah 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 check through my thing yep Hoyle knows about it. It's just it's got to be a bit more organised.
2: You so. <laughs> can catch Enfar Jones playing down at Howler. as part of Sensible Antics Presents Any Rhythm Sunday Garden Shows. That's coming up from 3 pm at Howler in Brunswick, uh, along with Enfar's Matt Rudge, Threads, and DJ Cleggs as well. And you can check out the Box Hill Institute if you want more information about the course that Enfar is teaching and is hand a hand written in writing for as well. And also the Jazz Festival show on Saturday, 9th of June, with Cool Out Sun down at the Rev in Footscray. Being great having you in at Triple R and I Hope to catch you again Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
0: This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.